Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week, we have some interludes to go through, and we have a special guest joining us. We have Tim, who is a big Cosmere fan. He has read plenty of the Cosmere and is here to help us try to explain some of these uh, interludes. Uh, Paul, what are your two words for these interludes and these two chapters we're about to do? Okay, so my two words for, for these chapters are ruthless and hidden. Ruthless and mm -hmm. hidden. Uh, Elliot, what are your two words? So my two words this time are scholarship and odd. Scholarship, odd, ruthless, and hidden. All right, let's let's discuss these. All right, uh, Tim, would you like to introduce yourself and we can talk about uh, Paul's words first? Yeah, uh, my name's Tim, study IT, college kid. Um, been into the Stormlight Archive and specifically the Wave Kings since it was the only book out. Uh, so I've been able to follow the progress and I've read all the Cosmere books in the meantime. Was Wave Kings the first Cosmere book you read, or did you read Elantris before that? Um, it was either Mistborn or the Wave Kings. Okay. Okay. But I think it was Wave Kings. And you referred me to the Wave Kings when, and I started reading it, but it wasn't actually because of your reference to the Wave Kings. I just picked up the Wave Kings of my own volition, and then halfway through it, I saw the 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 name Dalinar Colin, and I was like. Wait a minute. Is this this is this that book that Tim was talking about? And here we are. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty good at telling people about things, but not as good at um, convincing them to actually read them. It's all right. It's all right. I, we ended up here one way or the other. We got there eventually. We did. Yeah. I can say it's definitely nice to have two people here know what they're talking about. So. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Uh, Paul, you want to explain your two words for us? So, so my two words were uh, ruthless and hidden. Okay. And I chose these words. Uh, I chose ruthless uh, partly because of the interludes. Uh, we learned about, uh, what was his name, Axes. And he seems like a pretty uh, interesting character. As well as, we'll talk about Zeth's new owner later, seems pretty ruthless and... Uh, I'm interested to talk more about that. But those were, I guess, some of the main reasons I chose Ruthless. And Hidden was uh, largely for Shalon's intentions and how she's trying to keep that hidden. Okay. Um, as well as Kaladin's new technique to try and keep his, his bridge crew hidden from harm. So those that was the main reason I, I chose those words. Okay. Uh, Elliot. Uh, what were your two words, and what do they mean? My two words were scholarship and odd, and I too keyed in on the Axes chapter. I think that might be my my favorite chapter of this section, and but I tied Axes to Shalon. Instead, they both made some comments in these chapters about scholarship, 
Axis had a kind of funny line about the things I do for scholarship, kind of referencing mm-hmm. all this pain and frustration and ridiculous things that apparently happen to him frequently, uh, all in the name of cataloging all the spren, which I thought was a, a cool pursuit. And then Shalon learns about what it means to study and get into the world of scholarship. And she has a discussion with Yasna about either learning or, or listening to the, the author that you're reading versus, you know, imposing your own thoughts on the, the topic. And they have a cool conversation about that. And then odd primarily for the, the first interlude chapter with is the character's name Risen or, or Risen? Risen is how they say it. Risen. Okay. Yeah, it, it's a, it sounds like two syllables. Like Risen is how they how they say it. Okay. The the Thalen names definitely throw me. They they sound odd, but Risen. Okay. In, in the Risen chapter, she learns kind of a little lesson about just because something is odd doesn't mean it's it's wrong. It's just different from you. And she learns a little bit of a lesson about you can learn from things that that are odd. And I thought that was a cool concept. So odd. Cool. All right. Before we go any further with those, let us get into our spell check for this week. So, oh no, our our <laughs> first spell check is the the ocean sprint. Well, it's not officially an ocean sprint. It's a sprint that comes out of the ocean in uh, Interlude Five. And Elliot, how would you like to say this name? I I had a feeling you might pick this name, but because I struggled with it, I had to read it a couple times when I when I came across it for the first time. But I'm gonna go with I'm gonna pronounce it as Kusakesh. Okay. I'm grimacing. Kusakesh. Kusakesh. All right, Paul. How do they say it in the audiobook? Kusakesh. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Good that was pretty spot on. All right, Paul. I'm looking forward to this one. How'd you like to spell it? Elliot did such a good job, <laughs> and I'm here to mess up this. Uh, you're gonna, you're gonna nail it. <laughs> All right. So my best guess for Kusakesh is C U S A K E S H. Ooh, almost, almost. Okay. It's, like it's actually. I always feel very off. So. You were very close that that time. This this was a tough one, but the way it's actually spelled is C U S I C E S H. C okay. So yep. an I C instead of an A K. I see. Yep. Right. Yep. Not terrible. Not terrible. Good job, guys. Um our second one is Non Balot's betrothed. Non Balot is Shalon's brother, and Non Balot's betrothed is writing to Shalon via span read. How would you like to say her name, uh Elliot? Elita? Okay. My my close. You're close. It's not 100%, but uh Paul, how do they say it in the audiobook? Okay. As far as I remember, it's Elita. Elita in the, in the audiobook. I could be slightly wrong because I specifically remember writing down my guess as not exactly how I thought it would sound. Okay. So so in the audiobook might... in the audiobook they say they say Elita. Elita, okay. With a Elita. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm. Now I'm 
very much second guess. So <laughs> I'm just gonna full send with with what I had. Go for it. You I got was confidence. Like, I was going off of the like close to palindrome, like we talked before. So I had E L I T E, literally the word elite, I believe. But um, that that was my best guess. You're not you're not terrible. Like it's it's not it's not way off. It's E Y L I T A. Elita. The the palindrome idea threw you off. The pal time. the palindrome was a uh, was leading you astray. This one's not. True. True. Must mean she's I, not just must mean she's not a uh, holy person of the Voran Church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I've, I've, it's always it's never steered me wrong before with the palindrome thing and now it's uh, coming back to bite me. I I would encourage you to to stay on the palindrome thing cuz 9 times out of 10 it's going to help you as opposed to hurt you. Yeah. That's why I'm trying to stick with it. All right, and our last one is the King of Carbranth. And uh, Elliot, how would you like to say this name? A lot of letters in this one, but I'm moderately confident. I, I'm i saying Teravangian. Okay. Teravangian. Great. Well done. That's yeah. how I would say it, Teravangian. Sweet. Yeah, and for spelling it, I, my, my best go at it is t-e-r-r-a-v-a-n-g-e-a-n -E -E i'm really afraid it's gonna be a g-i-a-n at the end but I, I had to pick one i don't have it in front of me someone want to spell it for him yeah i got it you're you should have gone with your your other thought at the end there the the name is t-a-r-a V A N G I A N. Okay. A lot of A's. Not my best week. But... A, lot of, a lot of A's. Not your worst week yeah. either. Yeah. You you've had you've had worse. Yeah. Sorry. It's sure. okay. You you still have the glory of Numu Huku Maki whatever yeah. Yeah. To, to hang yeah. your hat on. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't I wasn't accurate on it all the way, but it was closer than anticipated, so I'm proud. All right. Good. Good job, gentlemen. All right, let's let's dive in to interlude four. And Tim, I want to get your your input here. Talk to me about Shinovar. We see yeah. we see a little bit about Shinovar in this chapter, and they kind of introduce it with some with some ironic descriptions as opposed to what we on Earth know of nature. And Rissen is describing Shinovar in a very odd way. Um, tell me about talk to me about Shinovar. Yeah, so Shinovar, it's very different from the rest of Roshar. Completely different. Um, it's not ruled by the high storms, as as they say in the book, because um, the mountains um, break up break up the high storms, and so you're able to have a more Earth like um, ecosystem. And so there's soil, there's what we would consider normal plants, uh, not like underwater plants. Right. Uh, and so it's basically a little slice of earth on Roshar. Rissen describes it as dead. She she walks out of her little cart carriage or whatever she's riding in, and she describes the atmosphere as dead, which is funny to me because, uh, Elliot, you put this in the outline, that we would describe most of Roshar as looking dead because it's a bunch of rock. It's a bunch of 
underwater plants that don't like that aren't they're not green as we would equate life to is uh is the normal color for us but when she sees this green grass with springy dirt soil and she's all disgusted by it she's like it doesn't move why doesn't it move yeah i had a little ironic chuckle when i read that because she was almost describing Shinovar the way I feel about the rest of Roshar, the way it gets described of this is so weird. And then she's describing all these things that you and I are very familiar with thinking this is so weird. It was, it was a funny little flipped perspective. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the biggest thing for her was the lack of spren. And so there, there's no spren anywhere in Shinovar. I noticed that that really that gets me scratching my head. I, I'm really wondering why. What What is it about Shinovar that, that makes there be no spren? I don't think we've seen anything so far to suggest that there's any reason for spren not to show up everywhere. Everyone's familiar with them. They're, they're so commonplace in the rest of Roshar. No one blinks an eye when they get surrounded by pain spren or flame spren or wind spren. And then here in Shinovar, there are none. Like, why? I have to chalk that one up on my questions for later. It's not only Shinovar as well. So uh, later on in Interlude 5, Axius notes that he hasn't seen a single flame spren in the entirety of uh, wherever he is. I don't remember. He's in Yuri. Okay. Yeah, right. And which is next to Shinovar. And he just notes that he's looking for these specific type of spren that don't appear in the rest of Roshar. That's why he's there. But flame spren he hasn't he hasn't seen a single one and it those it's one of the most common types of spren so uh spren are behaving differently as, uh, depending on where on roshar you are the way i i remember reading it was that um they can be finicky and they may show up at certain times and may not um but i actually i don't remember him specifically saying that he hadn't seen one in eerie do, do you, Elliot and Paul, remember that? I think he made some kind of mention of that. Okay. I specifically just remember about his character in that he was there to look for these kind of weird different spren. Like, he, he talked, I couldn't tell if it was a joke or not, honestly, about, like, spren you could only see if you're intoxicated and, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, definitely, I guess, shows that it's a very different environment there and that there's still a lot that even the people who live in Roshar don't know about Spren as well. Mm -hmm. Right. So back in Shinovar mm -hmm. in Interlude 4, I noticed a couple other things in this chapter, specifically about the the Shin themselves. And we, we learned a little bit about the Oath Stone that we know. We know Zeth carries one. We've kind of seen how it works where whoever holds his Oath Stone gets to command him to do whatever they want. And he has to do it. We learn in this chapter that at least my, my takeaway, somebody, Tim or Trevor, you guys can correct me if I'm, if I'm interpreting this wrong. But the, the understanding that I got out of Interlude 4 was that the Shin believe that if anyone picks up a weapon, they become a warrior and are then instantly bound to an oath stone almost like it's a punishment almost it seems like is that the the way that works yes um i i'm not sure if the oath stone is specifically 
for truthless or whether it's for all all warriors um but if you pick up a a weapon then you become a, a warrior interesting and, um you're demoted to the lowest level of society yeah i did think it was super interesting in shinovar learning how what was it like the farmers right were like the high people in charge of the royalty yes the 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 top dogs and i thought that was really interesting how we know that it's different geographically and that it's not affected by high storms and such like the rest of the world but not only that it's it's literally just like feels like the inverse of the rest of the world it's not affected by the high storms and the whole like hierarchy and stuff is just toppled from compared to to the rest of Roshai. Yeah, juxtapose it with Alethi culture, whereas all of the Bright Lords are carrying shard blades, and if you don't have a shard blade, you're kind of on the outskirts of society. That's why Sadius is so irked that he doesn't have a shard blade. He has shard plate, but he doesn't have a shard blade, and he really wants one. Whereas the Shin would be like, that would be the worst thing ever, and that's how Zeth views himself as, he literally views himself as one of the worst people ever. And I think something something that's also interesting to point out is ge geographical locations as well. They're so different as a culture, and then they are also the opposite ends of what is Roshar. Right. Yeah, that would definitely explain a little bit at least of why they're so different. They do. It does sound like Shinovar is very isolated from the rest of, of Roshar. I'm getting the impression that not many people have ever been to, to Shinovar and that it's a pretty foreign world, which would explain the the differences in cultures and beliefs. But there were other parts of it too that seemed extremely different. There was the the negotiation between the the Thalen merchant trader that, that Risen is like apprentice to and then the the Shin leader. And they they almost negotiate the opposite way of how you think a negotiation should go. Instead of you know talking up the the value of their goods they're talking down the value of their goods and we we get kind of the explanation that the shin value honesty and humility so much that it turns things on its head and it was a very interesting difference that's completely opposite of like you said what you'd see elsewhere right so something i want to bring to your guys's attention while we're talking about geography here um, is this map I have put for you guys, if you could open that up. So I did a little bit of research because I was genuinely curious myself. The map that you have behind you, Elliot, does not have a key of, of, of length or distance or anything. There's no um, size comparison. But on the Wikipedia, what it what the wikipedia says is that map in front of you elliot is 40 million square kilometers and i don't know about you but that doesn't mean anything to me so i did a little bit of uh i did a little bit of research and so basically what that means is it's 4000 kilometers high and 10000 kilometers across for reference and i will put this on screen for you guys now a direct line um, around the surface of the Earth from Vancouver, Canada, to Moscow, Russia, is 8,194 kilometers. 
And so the map behind you, Elliot, is slightly larger than that, about 20% larger than that, I guess. And that gives you some perspective as to how big Roshar is. This picture that I've put up for you guys, I photoshopped myself. Thank you very much. And it is... Fancy. Uh, it's pretty... As far as I could tell, it's pretty accurate to how big Roshar is compared to our map. Also, something to remember is Roshar is in the Southern Hemisphere. So you'll see on the south side of Roshar, the fr there's the Frostlands, which is underneath the Shattered Plains. That is the cold part of Roshar. And as most of the human race on Earth lives in the Northern Hemisphere, that's kind of counterintuitive for us, but uh, Roshar is in the Southern Hemisphere. Nice. That's good to know. Yep. I have one more tidbit if you would like. So the Shattered Plains, I've always wondered how big exactly were the Shattered Plains. And I did some very imprecise measurements with my uh, computer, but this is what I came to. The Shattered Plains, as viewed on that map behind you, are 727 kilometers across and 400 kilometers high which turns into 451 miles by 248. And for reference, Kansas is 410 miles across by 213 miles high. So, yeah, so they're in Kansas. I got it. I yep. got the mental that, picture. That's my takeaway for tonight as well. Shattered Plans is Kansas. 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 Yep. Okay. Kansas, so we know. Yeah, we know nothing. I think the Shattered Plans might be a little more eventful, but... <laughs> uh, so one thing I don't know if I'm skipping too far ahead but I am really wanting to talk about Zeth we've okay. mentioned before how I mean Zeth is super cool and he's kind of like mysterious at the moment we know he has all these powers we don't know why and we don't know why he's so bound to this oath stone I think it was interesting that you brought up about uh, when you pick up a weapon, you're bound to almost like a curse. And that comparison between that and the Oath Stone is really interesting, and I've never thought about that. Um, but I, I'm curious to hear more of your thoughts, as well as, is there any form of, like, justice system in this world? Because I feel like Zeth <laughs> is, like, just sicked onto to people over and over and kind of, like, used as a tool to to kill people but there seems to be no kind of repercussion for him or his his owner and so i was kind of curious about that uh tim i'll let you answer this here in a second but if you all would refer to your map uh which each of you have and i will put on screen for you guys again the bavlands which is where zeth is is on the southern tip of yakaved backed up to a mountain range and I always think of it as the Wild West of Yakoved. It's where the High Prince of Yakoved doesn't go. He kind of just lets them do their thing. As long as they're exporting minerals to, to gain wealth, that's all he cares about. And that's kind of where the crime boss of Yakoved lives. That's, that's, that's how I interpret it. That makes more sense. I, I was really confused because it seemed like just 
people just kept getting killed and i was i didn't even think about it at first and later on i was like wait can you do that like <laughs> is that okay <laughs> or is like there any form of justice for system for that or or what um, but that's that's interesting yeah yeah that's definitely a really good explanation for what it is um all the different kingdoms Alvkar, Yakoved, Hodaz, Bavland, um, they all have their own, you know, unique ways of government um, and, you know, unique laws and whatnot. And, you know, as the ones that are closer together tend to have more similar laws. But, yeah, that, that area is definitely more of a no man's land, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, so what we know, I guess, about Zeth right now is that there's someone out there who knows what he's capable of, knows what he's done, and has now basically taken control of him. And so I'm really scared to see what's going to happen because I had so much hope in my heart for Zeth and that he would... Uh, I don't know. He, he could, you know, his whole story that we've learned so far is that he wants to not be used for killing, and he kind of just wants to have a more simple life as he can, even going into being a slave, like like we've seen. Um, we got some bits in this chapter that definitely <clears throat> expanded my my compassion for Zeth a little bit. He he specifically mentioned how when he gets sent on these assassination missions, he he very intentionally doesn't kill more than he has to and he he really tries as hard as he can to uphold his honor and be the better person that he wishes he was but we still we still don't know why he became truthless i don't think did we we didn't really get any hints about that right so i think the uh going back to our discussion you know episodes ago about how how we feel about zeth i I still am withholding judgment a little bit because I want to know how he got himself into this scenario, but I do at least admire the fact that he's he's trying to make the best of his situation, but like you just said, Paul, that situation sounds like it's about to get a lot worse. Yeah. I want to I want to highlight Zeth's mental state at the moment. The entire time since he's assassinated Gavilar, he wants to be nobody. He does. He wants to be forgotten in some small town, used to clean out the petri dish or whatever of of Roshar, and doesn't want to uh, doesn't want to kill anybody. But he will because of his oath stone. And at the end of this chapter, somebody who knows his full potential and knows exactly who he is, um, he's the one who killed Gavilar and this new. Uh, person who hired him knows exact knows exactly that uh they, and they're prepared to use him so he's not happy so i have a a i was about to say minor prediction but it's pretty bold um about where zeth is going to go i think this is this is really out of left field i think i think somehow so as far as we know, Zeth's new owner is like kind of intending to use him to like kill major people in Roshar, like Light Eyes, higher ups and such. I think in some way, somehow, 
in the future, I think that Zeth is gonna like this owner is gonna find out about Kaladin in some way. And at some point Zeth is gonna have to assassinate Kaladin. And then there's gonna be either some kind of dialogue or fight or something, and it's gonna end up being He's somehow going to get his oath stone or something like that. He's going to intertwine with Kaladin. I think that's my prediction. Long story short. Somehow, I could be totally off, but that's that's where I honestly want to see it go. That's what I'm hoping for. I think that would be really cool uh, that they he's about to kill K- or something, and Kaladin talks to him and learns, and it's like, oh, I can help you or something, and then we'll work something out. That's what I want to see. That's That's my hope. But I don't. I don't know if that will happen. I, okay. I could almost see the climax of the book being like a showdown between Kaladin and and Zeth. That would be pretty epic to pull the the two storylines together. But that is definitely a bold prediction, Paul. I that would be cool. That would be very cool if the, that's where this is going. It's. I would say right now it's more of a I hope this happens than a prediction that i can educatedly say will happen but kaladin seems to stir up trouble everywhere he goes so maybe he'll get <laughs> on the owner's bad side somehow and and they'll run into each other so uh, i'd really love to see that that's what i that's what i'm rooting for at the moment good prediction the entire time we mentioned my poker's face before we went live tonight and the entire time i was watching tim to see if he reacted to any of that so that was that was <laughs> that was fun for me at least yeah yeah, I was, yeah. I was doing great, and then I saw Elliot intently staring at me. <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious, Elliot. I was intrigued. Yeah. You guys are good about the no spoilers. I'm very impressed. Good yeah, poker faces. I, I always try and glance, but yeah, I haven't given anything away. So. All right, any closing thoughts on our interludes? Just one thing I did want to mention before we move on. In the Zeth chapter, in interlude 6... We learned a little bit in there about Surge Binders, which Surge Binder has been on my list of things I wanted to learn more about. And we get a brief mention where Zeth talks about that. And he, he talks about Surge Binder in reference to his ability to absorb the Stormlight and then use it to perform supernatural acts and things like that. So I, it, it wasn't completely like spelled out, but I, I think from the context, I can pretty strongly conclude that surge binder is equal to those that can wield that power of the stormlight which i think is awesome and he had a really cool description mentioned in there about how it makes him glow when he absorbed all the stormlight and it, it kind of is counteractive to his stealth in the night you know it's hard to be stealthy when you're glowing with stormlight but he mentioned how surge binders used to be or were intended to be warriors of light who battle against the dark not those who sneak around in the dark and i thought that was really a cool concept that zeth really is being forced to misuse this power that he somehow has that we don't know how he has but i liked getting this little bit about surge binders that was a really cool tidbit there's a there's a quick quote that i'll read um which gives Zeth more humanity than I think we've we've seen so far. And his new master has killed his old master and uh and he's confronting him about who Zeth actually is. And uh he says 
Were you not meant for greatness, Zeth? And Zeth replies, There is no greatness in killing. You speak like a kukuri. Great men create food and clothing. He who adds to be is to be revered. I am he who takes away. At least in the killing of men such as these, I can pretend to be doing a, a doing a service. He's he's degraded himself in his own mind to the point where he doesn't even want to, to be referred to as his father's son. He's so ashamed of himself that he wants to be tied to his grandfather. That's why he calls himself Zeth son son Valano instead of Zeth son Naturo, and he's he's so he's beaten himself down so much to the point where he does not consider himself human anymore yeah it was big nuts yeah Yeah. the the only other question that i have about um about the interlude chapters is kind of backtracking a little bit about axes um and we see that axes it has a lot of weird characteristics i guess and uh I believe he's described, or he he's an Amian. Amian is how they say it. Okay, okay. Um, I was kind of curious if if I could get any explanation about what he is. I guess. Yeah, I can I can give you a little bit um, of of what we know so far, and then even probably a little beyond that. It's fine. So he's a. Amian, or did you say Amian? Amian is how they say it in the book, or in the audiobook. Okay. Yeah, and he's specifically a Saya or Sia Amian. Um, and so they, they're from the far western side of Roshar, a small island. Um, and um, all we really know so far is that they're, um, they're not really very common anymore. Um, what I can tell you is that they're, um, they're functionally immortal. So I, unless they're killed, they can, they'll live forever, essentially. Um, and then they've got some particular things like that. They can make, change the color of their skin. So like he can make tattoos on his body, keep notes, as well as his shadow pointing the wrong way, uh, which keep that in mind. Um, and, and before the end of the book, that'll teach you a little bit more about who the Aemians are. Yeah. I, I'm really intrigued because they have a lot of kind of obscure talents that, uh, like the, the tattoos thing seems really useful. He keeps notes on them, but like the shadow thing doesn't seem like, like cool, cool party trick, I guess. I don't, <laughs> um, <laughs> but but yeah, I, I'm really curious to to figure out more about about axes. And I am too. I was very intrigued. I I highlight in my book whenever I find anything I have questions on. I've got a yellow highlighter, and there were like entire pages in this <laughs> this chapter that I just highlighted the whole thing because I, I was like, I want to know more about all of this. I was going to ask: There's Is the entire so much in here? Is the entire interlude five just highlighted a yellow right now? Basically, yep. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing I pulled out of there was that whole shadow thing going the wrong way. That one, that defies all the laws of physics and science. So this dude's got something up, and I want to know what it is. All right. I think we can 
conclude Sorry. our segment on oh, go ahead i had one last thing just a, a fun fact about the the shin and then the rest of people of roshar is their eyes are constantly uh, they're said they're they're more round a little bit larger slightly off um and just a, a fun fact is that the rest of roshar their eyes are like people who are from asia they have a slight um tilt to it and the shinovar the shin and they have more european type rounder eyes interesting the racial differences between all the different groups has all has definitely been interesting we've gotten a few other little bits and pieces about other other races as well have they have different defining aspects and I did notice, notice that one about the shins. So it seems like each one of them kind of has a, a slight little difference that notes them as that race. Yeah, Shalon was spotted as from Yakaved the, the second she landed in Carbranth. So there's some very mm -hmm. specific, uh, very specific racial traits in Roshar. Speaking of Shalon, we probably should move on to her chapter, right? Let's do mm -hmm. it. So we haven't heard from Shalon since part one and when part three starts we immediately jump in with her and uh elliot you've got some stuff at the beginning of this Shalon chapter do you want to you want to start it yes so i've got some questions about Shalon's past there's been a few hints that make me really curious and wonder if there's something a bit darker in her past than than we've really learned yet she kind of comes off as this very innocent and good person but there's been just little hints about maybe something darker in the past and we got more of those in this chapter when she's talking about her family she she uses phrases like can't be blamed and they all bore scars almost like she's trying to excuse something that's happened or or say it it's almost like it would be in the context of we're all messed up but we can't really be blamed for that based on what happened we just don't know what happened they might be blamed for or what she's trying to use as the excuse of us. We don't get any of that context, and, but I really want to know, but it's, it's reinforcing my, my fear actually that there's, there's something dark in Shalon's past. There's yeah. Everything, everything we've learned so far is not all as well because her brother, when yes. we met her in the last interlude was pulling mm -hmm. legs off a crab and her yes. her family as she's span reading them she's they're all very concerned about her safety as they should be but her her safety and her success and that type of thing they're very dependent on her succeeding so there there was even another bit in this chapter that tied it in for me as well when she sketches the king of carbranth Terra Vangian, is that what we we decided his, yep, his name was yep when she sketches him, she subconsciously draws these like dark, twisted figures in the background, and she even mentions in the in the chapter um, that that was something like trying to get out. I've actually got the section here. I'll I'll read it real quick. She's talking about the the sketch she just did. Shalon looked down at the ruined sketch. The creatures were simply her fancy, the product of letting her mind wander. That was all. Just imagination. Perhaps there was something in her subconscious that she needed to express. But what could the figures mean then? That that just gives me even more like creepy crawlies about 
Ooh, so there, there's something weird going on here and it's starting to poke out a little bit in her subconscious, but that was a weird little section for her. I think it's really fascinating that her whole family uh, seems to just not be blatantly dark, but just do darker, odd things secondhand or like unconsciously. Like we in the the old interlude about Nambala, it was very uncomfortable where we just get this image of him picking legs off a crab. Um, it's like they can't help it. Yeah, it's it's just like a tendency almost, and it makes me really worried and and yeah, very uncomfortable all the time. Well, yeah, I definitely think it's it's really interesting her her family and that dynamic. Um, and you know what we know so far is her one of her brothers likes to pull the legs off of crabs, and one of her brothers uh, had a gambling uh, addiction, and just makes you wonder, you know, what's up with the rest of her family and what's up with her. We've always seen that Shalon is almost seems like the exemplary child of the bunch because she's incredibly smart and intuitive and an amazing like artist. Um, and now I didn't really think about it, but now that Elliot has brought it up, it makes me wonder like, does she have a thing? Like, does she have a weird dark tendency or something? And uh, it makes me really curious. So yeah, throughout this chapter, she's been still working to try and uh, steal the the soul caster from from Yasna, and we know that she's been getting more and more trust from Yasna. She's she's done her wardship, and so uh, we'll see how that works out. There's kind of I I do like these chapters a lot more. I was not a very big fan of the original Shalon chapters, um, but now that there's kind of this looming. Ooh, when is she going to try and grab this and run off? Or will she? Because uh, it seems like she wants to do it for her family, but there seems to be an in internal conflict still about um, about actually doing it. She, so. she wants to help her family, but she is not looking forward to returning to her family. She mm. is having the time of her life studying in Carbranth and flirting with uh, Ardens and stuff and she she is not looking forward to going back to uh, her father's old estate. I think she truly is enjoying the uh, the scholarship of it. That was one of my my words for this section. You can tell that she's really getting into just this learning and history, and she has a, a mind and a, a desire for that, and you can see that she hasn't gotten that in her her childhood or her upbringing. She didn't just have she just didn't have exposure to as much wealth and knowledge wealth of knowledge that's out there and here she is now in the palinaeum with yasna a a renowned scholar to guide her and a huge unlimited basically library at her disposal and she's just in she's in heaven it's it's where she dreams of being basically is is kind of how i'm getting it but then she keeps remembering oh yeah i'm here to to steal the 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 fabric the soul caster and take it back to save my family there's definitely a, a conflict going on inside her yeah yeah and her her family's not even aware like they're all just concerned right. that she's just you know completely overwhelmed not realizing that she loves it yep 
there was a funny bit in this chapter where Shalon and, and Yasna are talking and Yasna is kind of chiding her on on her her sharp tongue and how she always has a a snappy remark that's not always the most polite and she makes kind of an offhand comment that like you know you Shalon you and Wit would get along really well and she <laughs> I thought that was hilarious because they totally would Wit is just his job is to sit around and insult people as we've seen and that's Shalon's favorite thing to do is to come up with witty insults and jokes about everyone they they would work well together I think that's true I think it would be really funny to see a conversation yes uh, later on between Shalon and Wit but I'll be completely honest I would 100% understand if Brandon Sanderson tries to avoid that <laughs> I think that would be a very high stakes high expectation <laughs> conversation and that would probably be so difficult to write like his writing is outstanding uh, but but that's got to be a really difficult conversation to it's just witty remark after witty remark on multiple levels even so a wit battle yeah true. truly a battle of wits um before we move on to this next Kaladin chapter and wrap up the episode, I do want to read a quote from this Shalon chapter. It's about Yasna, actually. Um, so Shalon and Yasna are discussing, are talking about Teravangian, and as they're what like as he's left, and they're discussing how Teravangian Teravangian is slow of wit is how. Uh, Shalon puts it, not not the quickest mind in in the Palinaeum is how she puts it. And Shalon uh, starts the conversation. The light eyes here say he's weak, Shalon said, because he panders to so many other monarchs, because he fears war, because he doesn't have a shard blade. Yasna didn't reply, though she looked disturbed. Brightness, Shalon prodded, walking to her own seat and arranging her charcoals. In ancient days, Yasna said, a man who brought peace to his kingdom was considered to be of great worth. Now that same man would be deri deri derided as a coward. She shook her head. It has been centuries coming, this change. It should terrify us. We could do with more men like Teravangian, and I shall require you to never call him dull again, not even in passing. With all the research Shalon has done about whatever she's researching, old kings or stuff like that, and the Voidbringers and whatever else we've gotten tidbits of so far, she has come to the conclusion that it's been a long time coming of Alethi culture specifically losing their taste for peace. The Shalon, who's from Yaakoved, but the Voran culture in general, the Voran religion and the Voran culture, now see peace as weakness. And the more, the more you conquer, the more gemstones you capture, that is, that is honorable to the Voran culture now, as opposed to maintaining a peace. And Yasna grimaces at this and says, that's not how it used to be. That's not how I see it. It sounds like Yasna has been reading Way of Kings as well. It's it's some of the similar thoughts that, that Dalinar is is wrestling with about leadership and and flipping the Alethi norm on its head. She's she's not quite maybe having the same thoughts and discussions as Dalinar, but similar vein. 
Right. Any closing thoughts on the Shalon chapter? Not really. I'm excited to see uh, when or if Shalon uh, ends up stealing the the soul caster. I always always forget that. Um, but I'm curious to see. That's kind of the overlying issue it had. And I, I'm really curious to see in the further Shalon chapters where that goes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Alrighty. Coming into chapter 30, we meet back up with Kaladin. Uh, since uh, part two, he finally had bridge four under his belt. And going into chapter 30, he walks out of the barracks and they all follow him. And that's how we, we enter this chapter. Um... Gaz and Lamer Lamerel? Is that his Lamerel? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lamerel? Um Lamerel? La- Lamerel? Yeah, Lamerel. That's how you say it. Um have a conversation about the bridgeman that finally brings to the reader a, an answer as to what the bridgemen are. They the the readers basically figured it out by now, but it's someone in world has finally confirmed it that the bridgemen are bait they are they are there to die and that is their purpose so that better men in their in the light eyes eyes survive and lesser men die that is their purpose in this uh this army and they haven't revealed that to the bridgemen obviously because that would you know crush them but that's it, it's finally revealed to the reader that that's exactly what's happening here so we we also see gaz furthermore using this bait to try and find a way to get back at kaladin without outright killing him or doing something like that he wants he's been looking for it a way to get rid of kaladin because kaladin causes him a lot of trouble it's really breaking the norm of the broken-spirited bridgeman. Um, and uh, so Gaz um, kind of encourages Kaladin to experiment and try new things, thinking that it's not going to work out and he's just going to die. So um, Gaz is a little bit a little bit conflicted, though, because he he likes the fact that he's getting... A consistent source of of cash from from Kaladin's bribes, and he talks about having to to pay Lamoril, and he mentions I think at the very end something about blackmail, but I I did not understand what all that was about. Maybe we don't know yet, but I didn't understand why Gaz owes Lamoril. But Gaz Gaz is definitely conflicted here, and I found it interesting that part of this chapter was from Gaz's perspective, which was new. Gaz Gaz's mind was a, a slightly dark place. Don't know why I want to go back there again, but mm. that was that was interesting change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely uh, a dark place. Missing missing an eye. Uh, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And towards the first half of the chapter, Gaz is fully prepared and willing to get rid of Kaladin in a not so subtle way. And Lamrel says no 
he needs to fall on the field. He needs to not die a martyr because if you make a martyr of him, that is going to be worse. We're going to be in a worse situation than we are now. And Gaz says, okay, fine, I'll figure something out. And then when they start uh, experimenting with the side carry that Kaladin's trying, Gaz says, yeah, you should, uh, you should try a plateau run with that. And Kaladin gets a little suspicious. So my initial prediction on what's going to happen with Kaladin, when I, whenever I was reading that, uh, Kaladin, maybe he's starting to kind of doubt this whole side carry thing, this new technique. Maybe he's fully confident in it. Um, but I'm really afraid that he won't die, but I've, but like maybe his crew will die because of this, and he'll feel an, an, a really immense amount of, of shame that he like led his his bridge crew to their death or something by trying something new. Um, and I don't I don't think Kaladin will die because of his new technique, but but something bad will come, and uh, I think he's gonna feel really beat up about it. That's my guess. He's a main character. He can't die yet, right? Yeah, exactly. He's yeah, got exactly. plot on him, right? Yeah. Got another 500 pages to go. He can't die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he won't die yet, right? Um, Calendar did one thing in this chapter that I really liked. There was a little a little bit where we learned that he kind of set up some some squad leaders, for lack of a better term, amongst his his crew, kind of some level below him leaders that, that are kind of organizing the, the 30-ish men, I think, that they that they have and we we learned that he made moash one of the the squad leaders which moash was one of his biggest opponents earlier on and one of the i think later ones to really join his cause and moash even comments on this or, or there's a discussion and i think on the chapter of you know why'd you make me squad leader if you don't like me and and kaladin you know kind of mentions you you stood up to me and you showed some initiative and i i like that i need that and that's that's a really humble thing for Callan to do is realize that even if I don't like this guy, he can still be a good leader in my group. And that was, that was admirable. I like that. Yeah. He's Kaladin is, is doing everything he can to get normalcy for his bridge crew. He's trying to get them to respect themselves and view themselves as soldiers because that's how he views them. So if they view themselves as soldiers, they might respect themselves more and be willing to get in shape and not be depressed all the time, that type of thing. Yep. Look at him go. Look at him go. Honestly, how far can he go? Alrighty. Uh, any closing thoughts for this uh, this section, gentlemen? My my last note was was my I guess prediction that side carry will not work, and that. Uh, that it's going to get him nowhere. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I just, I, I think it's not going to work out perfectly. That's my only guess. But who guess knows? we got to read it, read on to find out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, thank you for joining us, uh, Tim, for this, this episode. It was nice to have you on for some more insight on these uh, uh, interlude chapters. And uh, otherwise, thank you. Yeah, thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. All right, guys. Till till next week. Adios. Sayonara. Cheerio. <laughs> <laughs>